If you have your Bible this morning, I wish you would open it, please, to the book of Proverbs. We are back in our study of the most practical book in all of the Bible. Last week, we talked about the importance of having a good attitude. And today, we're going to be thinking about the importance of our words. You know, words are extremely important. I heard about a man and a woman who had gone to a, to a conference, and in the conference, The speaker said that a study had been done that the average man speaks 15,000 words a day and that the average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. And so they were riding home from the conference and the man said to to his wife, he said, well, that's about what I thought. You speak twice as much as I do. And she said, well, the reason is because you're never listening and I have to repeat myself all the time. And then he said, what did you say? (laughs) And so it kind of proved the point. But, you know, our words are extremely important. One of the things I love about the book of Proverbs is how practical it is. You know, in our teaching and preaching and even reading of the Word of God, we come across some passages. Like, for example, we spent 52 weeks going through the book of Revelation, talking about end times, the battle of Armageddon, the great white throne judgment, the marriage supper of the Lamb. All these things, it's fascinating, it's interesting. And here we are back in the book of Proverbs, we're not studying anything that deep or anything that that would make us say, wow, I never even thought about that before. We're studying something super practical. We're studying the importance of our words. And let me remind you today that as we think about how practical the Bible is, remember this, the bridge from information to transformation is application. When we come to church or when you go to your Sunday school class or your connection group or even when you're home by yourself and you read your Bible and you have your quiet time, what are you doing? You are gathering information. You're learning something. And the hope is that by learning whatever it is that's being taught, it's going to have some kind of a change in your life that in some way you would be transformed. And so we have information We hope to have transformation, but the bridge between those two things is application. We have to apply what it is that we have learned. And I do not think there's a book in the Bible that is bigger on application than the book of Proverbs. Now, I want to begin by just putting some things on the screen here that I think will be very helpful. First of all, we should love the Bible. And I know all of us here today, we love the Bible. We believe the Bible that it's the inspired Word of God, and we should learn the Bible. But at the end of the day, we're going to be judged based on how we lived the Bible. It's not enough to love the Bible. It's not even enough to learn the Bible. It's living it out in our lives. That is the important thing, and that's what God's going to judge us for one day. Consider this verse in the book of Psalms, Psalm Uh, 119 in verse 11, the psalmist said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice he didn't say, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might quote it. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might preach it. No, he said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might apply it to my life, that I might not sin against you. You And then one other thing I want us to put up here today, becoming a Christian, that is getting saved, is based on what we believe. We're we're saved by believing, by trusting Christ to forgive us of our sins and to come live in our hearts. That's how we're saved. So becoming a Christian is based on what we believe. But being a good Christian 
is based on how we behave. It's the behavior. It's the application. It is what are we doing with all this information that we're receiving? Are we applying it to our life? And if we are, there will be transformation. But if we're just learning it and putting it up here, but not putting it out here in our lives, we're getting the information, we're getting smarter, but we're not being changed. Why? Because we're not applying what we've learned to our life. Now, I did something on Friday night that I've never done in all my life. I sat down and I said to myself, I want to know how many verses in Proverbs talk about words, the words that we speak. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. And so I did something I've never done. I read the entire book of Proverbs in one sitting. And it took about an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes. It's one of the best Friday nights I've had in a long time, just reading those verses. And I had a pen and I had a notebook. And I was just, every time I would read something about words, I would just make a note. And when I got finished, I counted 149 verses in Proverbs that talk about the importance of our words. 149. Yesterday, I went back. I had marked several other verses that I had not included in that count. I thought, well... That does kind of talk about words, and so should I put it in there or not? And I got the number up to 155 of the 155 of the six that I added, three, you could debate, should that be in there or not? So 152 or 155, but we can conservatively say that in the book of Proverbs, there are over 150 verses about our words. Now, what's interesting about that, there are only 915 verses in the entire book of Proverbs. And so over 150 of them are talking about our words. Do the math, over 16% of the verses in Proverbs talk to us about the importance of the words that we speak. Now, let's just, I want to just take a minute here today and kind of have a sampling of some of the verses that I read on Friday night. Let's just begin in Proverbs chapter 10. This is a tremendous verse. And again, we're not going to look at all 152 or 155 verses that I read, but we could just get a sampling of it. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. That's the verse you think every preacher ought to memorize right there, right? In the multitude of words, says, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So the more we speak, the more likely we are to sin and to say something that we shouldn't have said. Now, go to Proverbs chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter number, yeah, let's go to chapter, uh, chapter 12, I'm sorry. Chapter 12 and verse 18. Chapter 12, 18 says, there's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. In other words, sometimes when we speak, our words pierce. And the reason they pierce is because they were intended to pierce. They were calculated. They were intended to hurt somebody. One of the translations talks about reckless words. But notice the other part of the verse. It says, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And so we can build up or we can tear down. Go to chapter 16 and verse 24. Another tremendous verse about our words. It says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb. One of the translations says, kind words are as sweet as honey. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Chapter 17, verse 27 and 28. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding 
is of a calm spirit. So the, the wiser we are, the less we speak. Verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. So whether you're smart or not so smart, if you keep your mouth shut, people will think you're smart. And uh, if we speak, they'll know we're not, right? And so we should remember that verse. Now go to chapter 29, two other verses I want to show you here. Chapter 29 and verse number 11. This is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. It's 29, 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. You know, are you one of those people that just says, I always tell everybody how I feel? Well, I'm not going to call you a fool because God says we're not supposed to do that. But this verse would not speak highly of that approach to life. It says a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And then look in verse number 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. In other words, do you know anybody who when uh, they're in a conversation they just immediately speak. They don't even think. They have no filter. They just, some, a thought pops into their mind and out it comes through their mouth. Well, the Bible's pretty straight on this. It says there's more hope for a fool than for a man like that. And so that's just a sampling of some of the verses that I read. Now, we know whether we're speaking 15,000 words a day, 30,000 words a day, more than that, less than that. We know that when we speak, a lot of people are listening to us. And I want to just mention, if you have your bulletin, you can just fill some of these blanks in. But I want us to think for a moment about who's listening to us when we speak. You say, well, John, the person listening is the person I'm speaking to. That's who's listening. Well, they are. That's one of the people who is listening, but that's not the only person who's listening. I'll tell you the first person who's listening when you speak is God. Write that down. God is listening. Last Wednesday night, we, I did an entire sermon out of Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel are out there in the wilderness. They're wandering around. It's hot and it's dry. And they were complaining against God. And they were saying to God, God, have you abandoned us? Why did you bring us to this wilderness? Why is it like this? They were complaining about their circumstances. And we read and studied a whole sermon on this last Wednesday night that as a result of their complaining, God sent down fire from heaven and God destroyed people in the Israeli camp. Not all of them, but he destroyed quite a number of the people in that camp. And that says to me that God doesn't like it when we complain. Did you know when you complain, what you're really complaining about is God? And you're really complaining. When you and I complain, what we're really saying is, God, I don't like how you're running things. I don't like what you've allowed into my life. I don't like what's happening. God, I just don't like it. And so if God is sovereign and he's the exalted king on the throne, and he is, and we complain about what's happening that he's either causing to happen or at least allowing to happen, we're really complaining about God. Now, look at this verse, Psalm 19, verse 14, tremendous verse. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And so we want our thoughts to be acceptable to God, but also our words. When you speak, God is listening. And God is listening to see, what are you saying? Are you complaining against me? Or are you having words of faith 
and words of love and words of kindness. So when you speak, whatever you say, remember this, God is listening. The second thing I would say is people are listening. People are listening to what you say more than you might think that they are. And sometimes our words, you know, sometimes you can say something and you don't think anybody's listening, but maybe the person you're talking to. And yet somebody else was walking by or closer than you thought, and they heard what you said. And by saying what you said, you damaged your witness for Christ or Certainly you would have done that if you said something wrong, but also maybe you said something that hurt somebody else. We have to be very careful with our words. Remember this, your words are like trucks. What does a truck do? A truck carries things, carries steel, carries materials, carries food. A truck carries things. Well, our words are carrying things. What they're carrying is our thoughts. Just like a truck carries steel, our words carry our thoughts And if we don't filter our thoughts or sanctify our thoughts, our words can carry our thoughts and it can really hurt somebody's heart and really tear them down. I came across a poem last week that I thought was good. It's called Builder or Wrecker. It's written by a man named Charles Franklin Benviger. Builder or Wrecker. Here's what it says. I watched them tear a building down, a gang of folks in a busy town. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a side wall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled? The kind you would hire if you wanted to build. He laughed and said, oh no, indeed, unskilled labor is all I need, for I can easily wreck in a day or two what it took a builder years to do. And so sometimes with our words, what can we do? Like Like a wrecking crew. Takes no skill to do that. Like a wrecking crew, we can come in and tear somebody down with our words. And it might take a long time for that person to be built back up. And so be very careful, you know, with, with your words. I would encourage you, you know, when you, when, you, uh, when you speak, ask yourself some questions like these. Is what I'm about to, here's a good question to start with. Is it true? <laughs> I mean, Whatsoever things are true, that's what we're supposed to meditate on. That's what we're supposed to say. When I was reading all those verses in Proverbs the other night, I came across so many verses that talk about lying words, deceptive words, hurting words. So ask yourself, is what I'm about to say true? Well, if it's not true, don't say it. Or if you're not sure that it's true, don't say it. And then ask yourself this question, is it necessary? You know, sometimes something can be true, but it's not really necessary. And then ask yourself this question. If I say this, will it build the person up? So that, those are some good questions. Before you speak, see, we, is a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. But if we slow our minds down and say, now, wait a second. What I want to do is put a guard over my lips. And before I speak, I want to have a little filter here. And I want to run my thoughts through that filter before before. I put my thoughts into the truck of my words and possibly hurt somebody else. Is it true? Is it necessary? Will it build up? Let's just play like today that you have come to church and I stand up here this Sunday or any other Sunday when I'm preaching and I preach a horrible, horrible sermon. You say, well, John, we don't have to use our imagination on that. That happens fair. But let's just play like it's really bad. It's what Chuck Swindoll calls a longhorn sermon. There's a point here. There's a point there, 
There's a lot of bull in between. That's what Swindoll said. So I have a longhorn sermon. You say, man. And so you're thinking, man, that was just not very good today. I don't think he was prepared. I don't think he was spirit-filled. I, I don't think he was ready to roll. I just didn't enjoy it. It wasn't good. It didn't help me. It didn't do me any good. So that's your assessment of my sermon. And it's true. You were right. I had a longhorn sermon, and it wasn't any good. Now let me ask you a question. Is it necessary for you to tell me that? No. Let me say, no, it's not. <laughs> Will it build me up if you tell me that? No, it won't build me up. You say, well, John, what should we say if you come out here and preach a longhorn sermon? You should probably say what my brother said to me one time after I did a sermon like that. He said, John, we all have a bad day at the office sometime. <laughs> what my dad did one, after a sermon one time, I had preached longer than I should have. And uh, what should have been a 30 or 35-minute sermon went about 10 minutes longer than that. And, and I knew it was too long, and, and he knew it, and he was trying not to discourage me further. And we were walking out of the sanctuary. He put his arm on my shoulder. He said, John, I enjoyed both of those sermons today. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's a positive way to make the point, and I already knew it anyway. But the, what I'm saying is before you say something, remember, when you put those words, when you put your thoughts in that truck, and that truck starts driving on, and here come your words... They're either going to build somebody up or they're going to tear somebody down. They're, you're going to be a builder or you're going to be a wrecker. And so remember, people are listening. And people, listen, all of us, myself included, and I do not consider myself a sensitive person. I don't. But I, I would have to say this. I'm probably more sensitive than I wish that I were. And I think all of us are that way. We don't want to have our feelings hurt. And so remember that people are listening. The third thing I would say is this. Not only is God listening and are people listening, but when you speak, you're listening. You may never have thought about that, but your mind is listening to your own words. And so you can build yourself up. You can tear yourself down. Now, go to uh, Proverbs chapter 15. This is interesting. And verse number one, this is a very familiar verse, one of the most familiar verses in Proverbs. I, in fact, I would say if we were making a list of the top 10 most familiar verses in Proverbs, this would be on the list. Proverbs chapter 15, verse one, a soft answer turns away wrath. The NIV says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So if you're in a conversation with somebody, let's just play like, you're talking about some very controversial topic, all right? And they say what they say about that topic, whether it's political or economic or whatever the topic is. And, and you and that person are 180 degrees apart on how you view that issue. And they tell you exactly how they feel. And while you're listening to that, you're thinking to yourself, that's wrong, that's not true, what you're saying is not right. That's not logical. All this is going through your mind. Where did you get that information? It's a bunch of propaganda. You're thinking all these things in your mind. Now, when that person gets finished talking, you have an option. You do have an option. How are you going to respond to that? Well, if in your response, you use harsh words. In other words, you just fire back and you tell them how wrong they are and how crazy that type of thinking is, those are harsh words. And I'm telling you what, it's, the Bible tells us what, it's gonna stir up anger. So you're answering harshly, that's gonna stir up their anger. But you know what I've noticed, and, and if you'll think about it, you have too. When you answer harshly, not only is that gonna make them angry, that's gonna make you more angry. 
Have you noticed that when you get in a debate or an argument or something like that, the more you speak harshly, the angrier you get. And so the wise thing in those conversations, when they say all this that you disagree with, instead of just verbally mowing them down and proving how wrong they are, the wise thing to say when they get finished is, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's an interesting view. Now, if you say that's interesting, they're not going to get mad because they may think you agree with them. They don't know what that, that, nobody knows what that means. That's interesting. But if you say that's interesting, that's not going to make you mad because how could anybody get mad saying that's interesting? There's no harshness in that. And so we have to remember that we ourselves are listening to our words. If you speak negative words, it's not just got to do with anger in that verse it does. But for example, if you speak negative words, you're listening to that. What's that going to do? It's going to pull you down. It's going to make you more discouraged. It might even make you depressed. If you speak words of faith, what's it going to do? It's going to build you up. You know, one of the the things I love about preaching, preaching is good for me. may not do much for you, but it does a lot for me. Because when I'm preaching, I'm up here saying truth. I'm up here quoting scripture. I'm out giving Bible principles and truths. And it, it built, there's something about that that just builds me up. And so remember, you're listening. So your ears, I always was taught this when I was young. Our ears are not garbage cans for somebody else's trash. You know, W.A. Criswell, one of the most influential pastors who ever lived, pastored First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas for over 50 years. I mean, an extremely influential pastor. In fact, I have a Bible given to me, from, signed by him many years ago, and it says something to the effect, I thank God for you, John Redmond, from the heart of your other pastor. Wouldn't take anything for that little note that he wrote in that Bible. Dr. Criswell used to say this. He said in the spirit of our ears are not, trash, are not garbage cans for somebody else's trash. If he was in a conversation with somebody after a service or during the week or anywhere, and the conversation was negative and sour and bitter and complaining in a very uh, careful way, he would just find a way to excuse himself and walk away from that conversation. Now, he wouldn't get on to the people. He wouldn't preach them a sermon. He would just probably say, as, as I said, that's interesting, and wave bye-bye and go on. But I think that we have to remember that, that we ourselves are listening. So, where I was going with that, if our ears are not garbage cans for other people's trash, don't let your ears become garbage cans for your own trash. Let your ears and your brain, your mind, hear you speak truth and faith and kindness and things like that. And then the other thing, this is not even on the outline, but I want to add a fourth person who's listening when you speak, and that is the devil. The devil's listening. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, they overcame him by the blood of, their lamb, blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so when you and I speak, the devil is listening. Now think about this. Are you still listening, by the way? Say amen if you are. Anytime we can say anything that God likes, that the devil dislikes, that builds other people up, and that helps ourselves, that's a good thing. 
I mean, if we, can, if we can figure out a way to speak in such a way that when we get finished speaking, God says, I like what he said. I like what she said. And the devil says, I don't like what they said because it was full of faith and it was kind and it was loving and it was patient. And I don't like that. So we've said something that God likes and the devil hates. Well, we're on the right road so far. And then if we can say something that other people are built up by, and that we ourselves are built up by. Let me give you a verse to write down in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. The apostle Paul said, we believed and therefore we spoke. And and he, in other words, our words should be motivated by our faith. We believed and therefore we spoke. Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. At the end, it says, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The next verse says, so we may boldly say, think about this, our words need to match God's words. Our words need to be filled with faith. Do you remember when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are about to become the parents of a baby boy. You're gonna be the parents of John the Baptist. And Zechariah was old and his wife was old. They were well past childbearing years. And Zechariah said to the angel Gabriel, how can I know you're telling me the truth? Biologically, it's impossible for us to have kids at this age. And when he said that, what did he do? He spoke words of doubt. And when he spoke words of doubt, his tongue became tied and his mouth was shut. And for nine months, he couldn't speak a word. What did he do? He had to write whatever he wanted to write on a tablet. He couldn't speak. And at the end of that time, the baby was born, and they were trying to figure out what to name the baby. And everybody thought they'd want to name him after the father, or at least some part of the father's name. And Zechariah got a tablet, and he wrote on that tablet, his name is John. And when he wrote that, his tongue was loose. And his mouth could speak. You say, why was his tongue loose loosed after he said his name is John? Because that's what the angel Gabriel said his name should be called. His name should be. So when John, what I'm saying is when Zechariah's words matched up with God's words, his tongue was loosed and he could speak. And it says to me that we need to speak words of truth and words of faith that God is with us. Why, these principles, these truths that we try, even out there in the commons, we have these banners up there. God is in control. Peace is the result of trusting Jesus. What do we say out here all the time? God is with us. We're never alone. God has a plan. God can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around for good. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God will supply all of our needs. All things work for good. No, you know, all these things, the devil meant it for harm. God meant it for good. All these things, just a steady flow of this. What is this? It is an attempt from the word of God to build up our faith. How can it happen, John? How can we be transformed? How can we go from information to transformation? We take the bridge of application and we take these truths, we take these promises and we apply them to our lives even during the most difficult and darkest times. We have a family in our church I've known for many years. They've been a blessing to me and my dad and to, to our family certainly and they've been a blessing to this church, Eddie and Vicki Gibbs. I have known Eddie well, both of them I've just known from the church and our conversations through the years here. 
for many years now, Eddie has been a baptistry volunteer. When somebody goes up there to get baptized, uh, Eddie helps them change into their into their robe and get them ready for baptism. And so through the years, lots of times I've been up there and I was the baptizer for that service and Eddie and I have had good conversations. I just, I've always loved everything about Eddie and about Vicki. They just love the Lord. And to make that even better, he's a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. How's that? <laughs> Which living down here in Houston area, you need it if you're a Cowboys fan, especially the last 25 years when we've not been all that great. You kind of, kind of bonds you together. Eddie, through the years, is such a fan that he has ridden his motorcycle from Deer Park to Oxnard, California, several times, to watch the Cowboys have their summer camp. Vicky was telling me last week that there, on some occasions, he would get out there to that Arizona desert and maybe be at a restaurant or putting gas in his, in his bike, and he would talk to a trucker, and that trucker would say, listen, we're fixing to go across this desert, and it's going to be hot and sandy. He said, if you'll get in my shade, I'll block that sand from blood. You know, Eddie's one of these guys, never met a stranger. Everywhere he went, he was always just endearing himself, always putting others first. This last week, he, went, he rode his bike to East Texas. His mother had had surgery, and so he was going to help her with that and to help her kind of come through a little bit of that and just visit his mom. And, and last Monday night, he, he, had, he had helped her, and she was doing much better. And so about 8 or 8.30, he left Timpson, and he starts heading back for Deer Park. He got about two miles from his mom's house, and he was on his bike, and something happened, and he was involved in an accident. And... Um, Long story short, he, his, life, his life on earth ended last Monday night about 9 o'clock. Just has shocked the family. It shocked all of us. Tony Schumann, the teacher of their Sunday school class connection group, called me last Monday night about close to 10 o'clock telling me what was going on and just, just couldn't believe it. And, I, and she, she and Rick and Sue and Roger Harris, that whole connection group has done such a wonderful job ministering to this family. And, and I said, Tony, is, is Vicki... Do you think I could even talk to her? Is she even able to have a conversation? And she said, well, I, I, think, I think she can. So I got on the phone with Vicki. Of course, she's just in a state of shock at that time, obviously. And I, I didn't know what to say. I told her I loved her. We, I told her I loved Eddie. We know he's with the Lord. And, and she knew that. Even in her shock, she knew that. I talked to Vicki a day or so later. And then during the weekend, I talked to her. And she just sounded like a... Like a, diff, like, a, like a different person. She was still, obviously, she still is. She's sad. She's heartbroken. She's confused. But when I was talking to her on, the, on, on, uh, on one of the days, I think it was Friday morning, Friday, sometime Friday and maybe Thursday, but one of the days we were talking and, and, and I said, Vicki, you just sound like a totally different person than you sounded like on Monday night. You, you sound strong. Your faith, I said, your faith, it just seems strong. I said, I'm actually amazed just having this conversation with you. She said, John, I'm going to tell you what's happened to me. She said, I can't sleep. And anybody who's been through something like this, you know, you just, you can't sleep. And she said, I can't sleep. And so she said, last night, I couldn't sleep. And I got out of bed and I got my Bible. And she said, I said to myself, I need to read some Psalms. And maybe God will comfort me through the Psalms. And she said, John, I got to reading in Psalm 56. And I got down to verse 3 where, the, where David said, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. 
And she said, I read that verse and it's like God was speaking to me through that verse. And she said, I just said to God, God, I don't understand it. God, I don't like it. God, it doesn't make sense. But God, I'm like David. I'm afraid. Eddie did everything around this house. I don't know what to do. And she said, God, if when David was afraid, he made the decision to trust you, I'm gonna do what David did. And Lord, I too, in my fear and in my brokenness and grief, I am making a decision to trust you. And she went on and she said, John, I've just made my mind up. I'm gonna trust the Lord. And she said, you know what, John? I don't understand it, but this is the phrase that she said that really spoke to me. She said, I believe that even now God has a plan. You talk about faith. You, you talk about words that are lining up with the words of Scripture. I got a text this morning from Sue Harris, and she said, John, you're not going to believe this, but Vicki and her family are coming to church today. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I called Vicki, and I said, and I didn't get her on the phone. I got her daughter on the phone. I said, is it true that you and your mom and y'all's family are coming to church? She said, John, there's 16 of us coming to church today. I said, you think I can tell this story about, about Eddie? She said, absolutely you can. I said, well, if your mom gets mad at me, it's your fault because you told me I could tell it. Look up in the balcony, Vicki and all the family in God's house today and by their presence. You see, sometimes we speak words without speaking words. I'm up here on this platform today and I'm speaking all the words, but the best words in this service are being spoken from the balcony and they're being spoken by Vicki and her family. And what are they saying by their presence in this church today? They are saying that even now, God is in control. God has a plan and we choose to trust him no matter what. That's the best sermon of the day right there. I encourage you as we begin a new week. I'm only, I've only preached half my sermon. You see, I spared my words today. <laughs> spared my words. No, no longhorn sermon today. I spared my words today. I encourage you. Let your words be filled with faith. Some of you today, you need to be saved. And I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. You need to use your words as a truck and let them carry your thoughts and your hearts to God. And you need to say, God, I need you to save me. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. Give me a new beginning. Let your words today be words for salvation and forgiveness and eternal life with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to be saved, if you want to know that you're saved, pray this prayer. Say these words. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. And make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it.